And we are live. Welcome to this episode of the Slightly Chewed Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Watson. Like every week, I know that you like that name. A lot of people ask me about that name. Uh, with me on this episode, before we get into that, is the great and amazing t- and talented Bonnie Bishop. How are you? I'm good. Good. You I'm didn't tell me what the name of your podcast is. Slightly was. Chewed. <laughs> I feel like I sent it to you in a text. Uh, I don't know. In preparation for her baby bird. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly Chewed. It's hilarious. That should be the tagline in preparation <laughs> for baby to feed bird. To baby birds. Yeah. And all your all the listeners are the baby birds. We're baby birding you information right now. So how are you? I'm great. I'm really glad that you finally got to do this. It's been a long time that I've been trying to get you to do this episode. And you I keep, know. Well, you keep ducking me. No, I just was on the road a lot this fall and um, you know, I I just appreciate it also like cuz you helped me with the revival. Mm. We had that awesome event. We did. Worked on it for months, and um, you know, I was like, "Sure, I'll do your podcast." You saw, <laughs> you saw my deal through. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and that revival was so much fun. I still have people coming up to me. It was fun talking to me I about know. that. People have asked me several times when we're going to do another one. So yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. It was a fun collaboration with a bunch of Fort Worth musicians that I didn't really know very well at yeah. all, and some I think that knew each other but had never played together before. So definitely. Yeah, it was a good um, it was a good uh, entry into you know my new life here in Fort Worth. Yeah, so you just moved you just moved from Nashville. <clears throat> yep, where you've been for a while, uh, almost ten years. In fact, uh, we moved <laughs> today, today or tomorrow. It might be tomorrow. Ten years ago, today, ten years ago, I was driving. Yeah, a moving truck <laughs> with my fiance at the time to Nashville. Wow. And, uh, a dog and two cats from from Austin. Austin. Mm-hmm. Why'd you move from Austin to Nashville? That seems like a lateral movement. Um. Well, uh, there's several reasons. One, I never really felt like I fit into the scene that I was playing in musically in Austin. Yeah, I wasn't really playing in Austin so much. I was, you know, touring on the Texas music scene, the Texas country scene, mm-hmm. and. I kind of started playing gigs and making money playing music before I had spent a lot of time exploring who I really was or even what really turned me on musically. I mean, I listened to a lot of soul music growing up exclusively, soul music, Motown growing up. And then I got into classic rock, you know, like Bob Seger and and stuff like that and James Taylor and Carol King during um high school and then um I started writing songs in college but at the time I was listening to pop country radio I don't know why I think I went to see a concert um or two or or it might have been Jackie who was always telling me my dad was always telling me to um I, if you want to do music you need to go to Nashville yeah. And I, you know, didn't, I knew I wanted to do music, but I didn't know what kind of music I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Austin and um, surrounded by a lot of great musicians there, obviously. But I um, fell into the Texas music scene, the country scene, because uh, I s- put together a press kit and started sending out. My demo and my bio. Are you laughing at that coffee cup? Yes, yeah. <laughs> mullet, mullet, ology, one hundred and one. 
That's one of my favorite coffee cups, Chris Watson. Um, my little brother's 30th birthday party, we printed his picture in, with a mullet on it. Yeah, and it is. It mm-hmm. is that. What is he, about eight in this picture? He, about six, yeah. yeah. He had a rat tail. It was terrible. <laughs> it says, mulletology, know your mullets. The fashion mullet is David Bowie. The action mullet is Mel Gibson. Lush mullet, George Michael. Mexi mullet, Mario Lopez. That's a good one. Uh, super mullet, Billy Ray Cyrus. And the reverse mullet is Justin Bieber. Solid. Yeah, that's, that's a great coffee cup. That's where my caffeine's coming from, everybody, today. <laughs> I'd hold the lid on that French press, so you're going to lose it. Good call. Um, anyway, so I, you know, I didn't know how to get out and start playing music. I had started writing music. And like I said, I was listening to some pop country, pop country, and I had just been to the rodeo in Austin, and Jody Messina was there. Yeah. She performed. Um, and what's so hilarious is, you know, that was, God, 1999, no, 2000, 2001. And uh, the guy that was playing bass for her at the time later played in my band, which wow. is so funny. But yeah. that because, for some reason, that song, Bye Bye Love, was stuck in my head after that concert. And I was walking my dog one day, and I wrote this song. It just kind of fell out of the sky, but it had a similar sound to it, like that, her version of, Bye-bye, love, I'll catch you later, got a left foot down on my accelerator. Yeah. I think it's a Joni, maybe Joni Mitchell wrote that, I don't know. That sounds right. <clears throat> Anyhow, so I wrote this song, and then I was like, holy shit, I just wrote a song. Like, I didn't even know I could do that. Yeah. And I knew I, you know, I sang, I'd sung for years, been in choir and done music theater, but I, you know, wrote that song that day. And so it sounded like country and I was like, well, maybe I'm a country singer. So I started <laughs> writing more songs and they also sounded like country. And, um, I didn't know how to get an agent or do any of that, you know, but I asked some questions to some local musicians who told me to, um, that there was, that I needed to send my press kit out. Uh, to clubs and try to get gigs. They said, don't. I remember Riley Osborne, who's this cl- legendary piano player you know, mm-hmm. from Austin, played for Jerry Jeff for years, and um, oh, that blues kid with the long white hair from Louisiana. Leon Russell? No. No, he's from Tulsa. He's not a kid. He's a man. This mm-hmm. other one has looked like a kid his whole life. But anyways. I don't have a clue who you're so, talking about. So Riley told me, Riley was like my first mentor in the music scene, and um, he was a piano player, like I said, and he told me that uh, to book a gig before I try to put a band together. He said, don't bother trying to put a band together if you don't have any gigs. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, i got to get some gigs. So um, somebody told me that there was this book you could order from the Texas Music Office that had a list of all the venues in the state mm-hmm. and all the radio stations. So I just started... I learned that book also taught you there was a book like a music business book that mm-hmm. you could order um, how to be your own booking agent That's right. right and it it uh, told you how to put together a press kit and you know kind of how to call how to follow up so I like started using the um, mailing supplies at the real estate development office where I was working <laughs> the only job I had real job I had after college for any period of time um, and I started putting together press kits and I mailed them out and eventually some people started calling me back and offering me gigs and then I scrambled to put together a band <laughs> and then next, that's a panic moment yeah and you know next thing you know I'm able to get paid playing music in Texas so yeah. you know I think I just continued down 
a country road um and and that scene uh you know had a, had wonderful opportunities for making a living it still does mm-hmm. and i and, you know it's part of why i came back to texas is because the fan bases here are very loyal mm-hmm. and have a great following from doing that all those years but at some point i felt like i wanted to expand my horizons sure. and develop more as a as a writer and um and i wanted to see if i could make money in the publishing world yeah so i started sniffing around for a pub deal in nashville and uh had some interest but everybody said you know you got to live here to play this game and so i decided to go up there and play the game for a while Hmm. so we sold my house and we drove across the country and um we got married then we got divorced and then i you know (laughs) got my ass kicked found out who i was started writing real songs from a real place and you know, it's just been a beautiful uphill yeah. and downhill sometimes journey since yeah. then. So. That sounds like a whirlwind of an experience. It was a whirlwind of an experience, and it went by so fast. Living in Nashville went by so fast. And I remember when I <clears throat> I told Walt Wilkins I was going to move there, we had made a record together, my second record. And he had moved back from Nashville and, you know, was just as... <laughs> had a lot of feelings that I now identify with having lived there for 10 years. But he said to me, you know, you'll blink and 10 years will have gone by. Yeah. And I thought that isn't, that's never going to happen to me. I'm never, I'll stay there six months to a year. I'll make the contacts I need to make. I'll secure the pub deal and I'll come home. Right. And that was the plan. Right. But you know, life doesn't always work out the way we plan. (laughs) Yeah. 10 years. I mean, you've accomplished a ton. I mean, it's not like you were out there Pandering no, or no. floundering, I mean. <laughs> pandering. That's not what I meant. Pan- uh, flander- well, floundering. I was pandering, actually. Like, there was some pandering. You know, I didn't even really know what that term meant until recently somebody started saying that. And I started thinking about how much pandering we actually end up doing trying to play the music business game. And it's, yeah, that's true. And it doesn't make me feel good. And it didn't make me feel good when I was there, but I didn't really know why. Right. And, um, you know, in retrospect, so many wonderful things happened while I lived there. I was pushed to the edge personally and, and musically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always, you know, just made me dig deeper and fight harder. And I'm, I'm glad for that learning yeah. process. I made some wonderful friends. I wrote some amazing songs, had some, had some great publishing success, you know, but in retrospect, when I look back at my time there, I see it as, um, you know, me learning that I don't want to play that game. Right. It's a different game up there than it is down here. Well, I feel like the game game should be creating the game should be the journey of discovering who you are as an artist. Right. But up there, <clears throat> as everybody knows, there's a lot of non-artistry. For one, um, there's a lot of people that are there to make a living on people who can play artists on TV and stage. Right. And it's a business in that, and, and everybody in Nashville who works in that industry will tell you it's a business first. Right. So I wanted to fight that. And when I moved there, you right. know, my, my goal was to change the music industry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I continued to stoke the fire that 
turned me on musically, you know, mm-hmm. and like keep searching and kept digging and learning new instruments. And, you know, I feel like I really grew as an artist and as a writer, but I still, it always just felt like, um, begging and I, you know, in yeah. the industry and maybe it was me and the place I was in in my life. And maybe, you know, a lot of it is not having my own sense of confidence or f- having to find out who I was musically in a town that is going to try to tell everybody they meet what they should do. Right. Because they think that's why you're there. And really it is for the most part, you know, that's why most people are there. And, um, I remember that feeling like of just wanting to, wanting to get where I wanted to go, wanting to be on stages with thousands of people because to me that meant that I was a great artist. If I could get that audience, that would mean that my music resonated with a lot of people and that would make me feel like I was doing something right. Right. And that was something I really, at the heart of it, I think I was battling to let go of the whole time is to be authentic instead of that. But that town is so influential when you're in it because that's what everybody's doing. They're trying to figure out who do I have to be to get the thing that I need to get where I want to go? Right. That's why people moved. It's why actors moved to LA. Right. It's why stockbrokers moved to New York city. Yeah, exactly. Or music theater. People moved to music city. It's why songwriters and, and singers moved to Nashville. It's yeah. like, I want to find the team that can help me get where I want to go. And there's an innocence in that too, in the sense that like as an artist, you've got to be responsible for getting your music out there. Yeah. And, to some extent we can do a lot for ourselves and we can do a whole lot for ourselves, but then there's some things that, you know, you need to ask for help sometimes. And that's, if you go to a town like Nashville and you don't know who you are and you go in and ask somebody for help, they're going to ask you, well, what do you want to do? Right. That's always the first question I got any meeting that I had. It's right. like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, and they would say, well, do you want to be a writer or do you want to be an artist? Hmm. And naively, I said, I want to be both. Yeah. And it was like, you could just see it like on their faces. They go, no, she's not ready. You know? <laughs> right. <clears throat> so. And that seems intuitive, though, that that would be the same thing. I mean, that makes that doesn't seem like a bad answer. It is for answer. where we come from. It doesn't seem like a bad answer to me. That's right. It is for where we come from. But it's a different story there because their job well, they're, who knows what their job is now, but their goal became making money. Right. And what I have found out to be true for myself is that when I set out to make money, it usually taints everything I do and every choice I make is made in fear instead of like this is what I want to do and it becomes this weird dance and every every artist songwriter dreamer anybody that you know has ever chased something artistically driven knows that struggle between commerce and creativity you know definitely I've had a lot of those conversations with myself and with other people yeah, and it's um, it's tough to 
uh, I guess, wade through that, but everybody kind of has to wade through it for themselves. And some get to the other side and decide, fuck it, I'm not, right. I can't be poor anymore. So they'll do whatever <laughs> it takes. Right. You know, I've seen engineers do it. I've seen artists do it. I've seen people that set out to build publishing companies built on great songs eventually cave in because they can't pay their rent on Music Row. They sure as hell can't pay their rent on Music Row now. Right. Where a 650-square-foot apartment goes for $1,800 a month. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. So they're driven by the dollar. You know, even the comment I just made, the town is driven by the dollar, like the the turnover of all those beautiful historic buildings on music row and those old houses and replaced mm. with condos and everything historic in Nashville is seen as a, a, um, roadblock, I guess for progress, you know, financial progress and right. just like songs, just like our great artistry. It's yeah. like, well, we can make a lot more money selling um, to these kids right. than we can to, educated adults who want to sit and learn from music or want to be inspired or want to feel something like, right. You know, the whole model is, you know, don't feel, just keep, keep your head knocking to the beat while you're getting from point A to point B. Do you think to speak to that point, do you think that that's been the plight of popular artistry throughout history in general though? I mean, you hear about so many famous painters from centuries ago who didn't even become famous until after they were dead. Yeah, just the the plight being uh, the struggle between commerce and artistry. Yeah, I don't think that's anything new. I think it's just being being highlighted. My first and uh, my my round with it, my ten year round with it, you know, and I. I didn't understand that going in. I was very romantic about everything. Sure. Which I think you have to be. I mean, you wouldn't go into it knowing knowing everything you know now. You probably wouldn't have gone. Someone, had, if you had that experience now. Or you yeah, maybe I might have gone. gone but I don't know what I would have done differently. I mean, I, I don't think I would do anything differently looking back. You know, like I'm like, okay. I, you know, and I, I try to look at life like this. Everything that happens, like I try to see at least a lesson in it. You know, okay. So it's a growing it's a growing process, you know, but, um, had I known I couldn't fight the industry that way, I think I just would have stayed home and fought it the way I'm fighting it now, which is, I don't give a fuck. Right. Artistic integrity. (laughs) I don't give a fuck if I end up like, I don't, you know, my career dies out and people don't want to book me for shows and well, I'll do something else part time for a living until something else I'm doing starts to make money and yeah. you know there's other things I found out that I do like to do right so um, well, that's you know, important too I mean having that balance in your yeah, life is really important I think it is I mean you've got to be able to turn your brain off and go just do something for fun there's I read this great quote not too long ago that said um, I get the best work done when uh, I'm, I get the best writing done when I'm supposed to be doing something else <laughs> Yeah. You know, like when I grab, when I set myself an hour timer and I, you know, take the time to sit down and just write for fun, just write for fun. And I, and you know, I'm not just writing songs these days. So there's like other writing outlets, but it all, it's, it's all the same rules apply, you know, with, um, once I decided, okay, I'm leaving Nashville, I'm done with this game. And for me, leaving that town was me saying, okay. 
you know, I sowed the seeds and I'm, and I'm made some great friends and I wrote some amazing songs and I have a huge catalog that I'm really proud of. And I don't feel the need to stay here and continue to try to get somebody to notice me or, um, even to play the game of going out and writing three, four, five days a week with people. I just, I'd rather be inspired. Yeah. And that town does not inspire me, and it never did. Yeah. Um, the creative community there, there's some awesome songwriters and musicians who live there who I wouldn't be who I am today musically without, you know, those collaborations. But when I left Nashville, you know, the part that I was saying goodbye to was, you know, the me that was trying to um, fight that fight and not doing it anymore. Right. And I've been so much happier and more at peace since I came home and just stopped uh, thinking there was somewhere to get. Right. You know, I'm here. This is life and I'm going to enjoy it every yeah. day and not measure my success on what, you know, how many tickets I sell or how many CDs I sell or how much, you know, money right. I've made or whatever. It's like that, the commerce side of it, I'm just trust that it's going to work out for the best. And the more I let go, the more life gets easier in that way yeah and i'm sure that reflects in your in your writing since you've been back here i'm sure that reflects in your your showmanship and all yeah. of it it's just there's probably an air more of an air of comfort and 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 forgiveness like self-forgiveness yeah. like i'm not judging myself anymore because i'm i've just removed myself from that yeah i don't want to i don't want anything to do with that and um and i appreciate uh I appreciate my shows more. Yeah. You know, I have a lot more fun. That's a tremendously value, valuable <clears throat> life lesson that you've probably learned that a lot of people will probably never experience. I don't have the balls to just pack up and move to Nashville. I don't, I mean, my experiences in Nashville were probably extremely different from yours, but I don't, have, I don't have the balls. I don't have the balls to just pull up my entire life and just go and try. I just, I don't know. I've, I've thought about it. I've thought about all the different places that have the scenes that, you know, that you hear about yeah. the, the LA's and Seattle's and all the places. And yeah. I, uh, I find myself the most at home here yeah. in Fort Worth. There's a tremendous community. There is. There's a lot of opportunity in Texas and DFW specifically and, and if there's not any here, then you can get on a plane and get anywhere in the world you want to go. From here, From yeah. From Dallas. <laughs> That's right. Why'd you pick Fort Worth over maybe going back to Austin or Houston or something like that? Um, I knew I wouldn't go back to Houston. I swore I'd never go back to Houston when I left at 18. That's probably a good move. No, <laughs> um, no offense. No offense. <laughs> Austin was not uh, accessible to me anymore. Um, the traffic, the tech industry, the... Californians, you know, it's too much um, like Nashville. Like, basically, and they'll say it, people in Nashville think that Nashville is like Austin. Right. Like, that was what their model was when they started redeveloping Nashville after the show. Nashville came up, and suddenly all this attention on Nashville, and there's this beautiful new convention center and all these new restaurants, and look how cool we are. And suddenly, like, it was everything that they envied about Austin they tried to bring to Nashville. Hmm. And Austin isn't even what it was when I left. No. You know? Um, it's, it's totally different it's now. It's so deve- overdeveloped and, 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 you know, it's it's 
partly out of my price range and it's just out of my level of tolerance right you know so i did think about going to wimberley because my whole family's in wimberley mm-hmm. it's beautiful down there but my whole family's in wimberley so i decided <laughs> to come to fort worth <laughs> yeah. i'm just kidding i love my family and this is close to them that was a plus for me yeah, um but i just, just love a few hour drive it's not bad yeah at all. not bad at all and, uh, you know, I've played in Fort Worth for years, and I always had such a good feeling here. Like, mm-hmm. home, like it felt very homey to me. And mm-hmm. uh, I never considered li- living here until um, about a year ago. Um, had some friends here, and um, one in particular that kept saying I should move to Fort Worth. And so I, like, actually thought about it, and I came down a few times and looked at places and and one day uh i came over to see my old drummer bruce who mm-hmm. lives just next door yeah and i saw for a rent sign out front of this apartment and i was like i'm gonna call about that place and i got in to see it that day and i just my stuff had been in storage for a year mm-hmm. at that point in wow. nashville because that's how long i knew that i was leaving <laughs> i just didn't know where i was going right so, um, I'd been squatting at a friend's house in different couches and stuff in Nashville when I wasn't on the road or at my parents' place in Wimberley. So I, I walked into this apartment and I'd looked at a lot of different places like in Nashville, trying to figure out if I was ready, if I was really ready to go. And anytime mm. I looked somewhere, I was like, mm, right. I can't do it. Had a lease that I tried to get in Dripping Springs. It fell through the week before I was supposed to move. So mm. I just was waiting, you know, like waiting to feel, feel something that felt right. Right. And when I came in this apartment, I saw my life here. Yeah. Like I saw my furniture in this room. I saw my dishes in the cabinet. I saw my dog in her bed on the floor. And I was like, I can do everything I want to do here. I can make music. I can build my creative community here. I can be of service here. I can make money in Texas. Mm -hmm. I can get overseas easily from Texas. Um, I had relationships here that were worth building on, and it just felt really homey. And I hadn't felt that, I hadn't found a place that I thought, you know, that will be home. Yeah. And I, and I was right. And I was scared to death. Yeah. You know, because nobody else, everyone was like, why are you moving to Fort Worth? Right. And I was like, sometimes, you know, you don't know. Sometimes you think of, you think things through to death. Yeah. And you think yourself out of them. And then, you know, I'd done that. I've done that plenty of my life. And I just was at a point where I was ready to follow my instincts. And my instincts led me right here. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here too. It's. It's been um, it's been really peaceful. That uh, I really needed that. Yeah, in a good way, you yeah. know. And That's good. and I've made some <laughs> friends here, and I, you know, I like what's happening here. I like that people are doing their own thing, and um, I'd like to, you know, um, I'd like to do more with other musicians or for other musicians here in Fort Worth, you know, I think that there's somewhat of an absence of collaboration and, uh, you know, and I don't know why that is. I, yeah, I can see that. I could, there's an absence on a, on a larger scale. There's a, there are pockets of people who get together mm-hmm. kind of exclusively with each other. Yeah. 
and it doesn't really branch out from that. Yeah. I've noticed. Um, but I think this community, this an actual musician's community. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cohesiveness amongst the scene, amongst people trying to help each other. Yeah. If not creatively, then, then, Hey, I got this gig come open for me so you can get this gig Yeah. and that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like there's not a lot of combativeness. Yeah, like competition, you mean? Yeah, and and people, you know, fighting each other for gigs and that kind of stuff. I don't feel like there's a lot of that. That is nice about about this area is that there's enough work for everybody. And maybe that's why they're like that in Nashville. Maybe why it's more competitive is because nobody gets paid. Yeah. (laughs) They're all fighting for non-paying gigs. Yeah. It sounds weird when you say it that way. (laughs) Yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know. I I feel the same way though. I mean, to, in my lesser experience, I I enjoy this this area a yeah. lot, even for what I'm doing, which doesn't necessarily fit that much. Yeah, you know, the pockets for what I'm doing successfully are really small. Yeah, but they are there. Yeah, you know, with as much as there is anything anything else. So, I think um, it's a great place to figure out who you are without a lot of. You know, like for me, man, and maybe this is just me, but just wanting to get away from um, being around so many people doing it. Right. But still wanting to be around people who are doing it. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Um, and I felt, I feel like I can go out and play gigs and make a living and then spend the rest of the week figuring out like who I am and what I really love to do. And then I can put it into action on the weekends. Yeah. For you know? sure. I do. I understand that completely. So explain to me the pictures of you that I've seen on Instagram hanging from a rope <laughs> or whatever that is. Uh, it's called a yoga swing. Okay. Um, That's so foreign to me. So it basically <laughs> some there, there's a, a whole art form of yoga called aerial yoga. Okay. If you've ever seen Cirque du Soleil, it's kind of like the dancing, hanging from those long silks, they call them. Right, And so, you know, there's a thin line between ballet and yoga, really. Right. And um, I love yoga. It really helps me, uh, you know, for physical exercise and just like breathing technique. And Mm -hmm. it helps me in all areas of my life. Sure. And... uh, so I saw, I, I follow a lot of people on Instagram, a lot of yoga people, and I started seeing all these yoga trapeze ads. <laughs> and it's basically like um, you install these hooks in the ceiling or in your door jam, and it's this long um, kind of hammock seat that hangs down, and then it has some exterior straps with handles on them. And there's all these poses that you can do and kind of like stretch out further from hanging upside down. You right. Know, it's great for your inversions are great for your back. Right. You know, decompress your back. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's all these exercises you can do and stuff. So I mentioned to my boyfriend that I wanted one. And when I came home from tour in November, he bought me, he had bought me <laughs> one. He ordered me one. And so, um, I love it. And um, what's funny about that is, you know, I see all these yoga videos all day and people are wearing, you know, tights or leg warmers or whatever. So I, that's what I wear when I do my yoga swings, what I wear when I stretch or whatever. Right. And um, so I was, I did a couple of videos cause I was like, this is so badass. Look at this thing. <laughs> and um, my sister posted on one of those videos or she sent me a private message and she said, um, you need to remember that your nephews are watching you on Instagram. (laughs) 
and their friends are following you too. And I was like, um, okay, what's the problem? And she was like, well, you're wearing your underwear and a bra and your crotch is in our faces. And somebody else commented on it too. And I'm sure she's wondering, like I am, why are you posting videos like this? (laughs) And I was like, first of all, those are dance clothes. Right. And second of all, I'm posting them because it's fun. Right. And, th- and this is an amazing like thing that I'm, that I'm doing in my free time, which makes me feel great. And <laughs> I felt like posting a video. It's no big deal. Right. So, I, and I like, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. If that's where the line is drawn, <laughs> I feel like you're doing okay. It could be a lot worse. I tagged her in a bunch of videos of other people, uh, in their yoga swings and she wrote back and said you're not a yoga instructor oh no (laughs) you can't win that argument she lives in Nashville by the way oh well there you go (laughs) (laughs) maybe the two are correlated I don't know I don't know that's funny I've only tried yoga uh, a couple of times and I didn't go somewhere to do it I had the P90X videos oh, yeah. and they had a yoga one that you do mm-hmm. every every couple of weeks mm-hmm. and it was really hard I bought mm-hmm. a yoga mat I've only used it like three times <laughs> but it's in my house so if I ever need it but... tell you what not to sound like a grandma but you know the, the older I get the more uh, like it does make my body good to just stretch which is really what yoga is it's breathing and stretching it's right. taking breath real breath into your muscles so that they can stretch out and not be clenched all the time which is what we're doing absolutely and um it helps me so much and it just i i I realized when i started doing i didn't realize when i started doing yoga because i've done yoga since i was 18 but i i realized maybe three four years ago that i hold my that i was holding my breath all the time right I just did it just now. <laughs> yeah, just holding it. Yeah. yeah, I get that. I I hold my shoulders up like yes. this. I yes. I have to like actively put them down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I grind my teeth. Yep. All day. Yep. I, my jaw is sore constantly yep. from grinding my teeth. Yeah. I get that. <clears throat> I'm not definitely not against yoga. I didn't want that to sound like I was not against. No, it, I didn't feel I like you were against it. it. I was, felt more like you knew it was good for you. You just hadn't. And really I just can't it. do it. I'm terrified of it because I don't want to be the guy. I don't want there to be some 80 year old woman doing all the stuff perfectly. And I'm <laughs> next to her and I'm. You can't sweat. touch your toes. Yeah, I, I can't touch my toes. It's okay. Most people can't. can't. Most people can't I'm when about they start. An inch or two away. It's embarrassing because I'm not in bad shape. I'm in better shape now than I was a few years ago before I quit drinking you know yeah. I'm slowly getting in better shape yeah. but I'm not even close to touching my toes well, nothing, it's bad nobody's good at anything when they first started out unless they're a freak and we all hate those people you yes. know but don't be that person the rest of us are taking the journey whatever it is we're doing we right. gotta start somewhere you know sure um, I was doing it all wrong for years and probably why my back hurts so much is because I did it wrong <laughs> um, but you know it's just it's just like anything, you know, breathe and stretch and be right. patient with yourself. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of meditation aspect to it as well. And I subscribe very wholly to meditation and, and mindfulness yeah. of, you know, of your body and your, and your, just your activities. I, I got into that. I, I was playing competitive golf for a long time and I was doing pretty okay at that for a while. And there is a, a an exercise that professional athletes like that will use golf. You have to know that golf is a, is a 
if you're out there for four or more hours I know it sounds miserable it's amazingly meditative <laughs> I love it I've been doing it my whole life I really like it but the actual amount of time I've only driven the golf cart and driven drinks to people so maybe that's why I don't like golfing it could be <laughs> your experience could be tainted with dir- one, dirty old men yeah well and <laughs> like there's these different events you know where like they have singers and songwriters like right. celebrities, right. you know, um, come and like <laughs> deliver drinks while they're doing, you know, fundraisers and stuff like sure. that. But Jackie did take me golfing one time and I was, I hit the ball one or two times and he realized <laughs> like she has no athletic ability whatsoever. I pass well, on this one. Yeah. Sometimes it's not for everybody, but the amount of time that you're out there is generally four plus hours. And the amount of time that you're actually physically making contact with the golf ball is like less than one tenth of a second. In the entire round, right. total, right? So you're out the rest, there, you're missing a, it. It's you're talking to your friends. Well, you're just <laughs> you're just alone with your thoughts, really. Because when you're com- playing competitively, you're not talking, you're not messing yeah. with people. You're you're thinking about. Did you play competitive? Golf? I played tournaments and okay. for money and stuff. Yeah, like I was competitive at on a semi regional like, scale for a while. When was this? This was within the last ten years. Okay. Something that I do apart from music. That's the that's Fun. the yin to my musical yang. Okay, got it. Is playing golf and fishing. I fish a lot too, um, but <clears throat> that's the thing is that you spend all that time thinking. So you have to do this. Uh, there's a there's the whole concept of of mindful meditation that it applies to sports is that you have to re- you have to figure out how to react, uh, how to predict how you're going to react, and then force yourself to react a certain way that is constructive Mm -hmm. so if you hit a bad shot everybody yells and throws the club and breaks it over their knee and all that stuff and that's setting you up for more bad shots but what you have to do is you have to predict if i hit this shot poorly here's what i'm going to do i'm going to think about it what did i do wrong correct it and then move on allow myself the time to be mad and then be done with it and move on and then it doesn't affect anything else and i feel like that carried over into my show my live shows a whole lot yeah so I get really self-conscious on stage. I've had no formal music training in my life except about a year's worth of classical piano when I was six. Yeah. That's the only formal musical training I've ever had. And so I didn't learn how to sing correctly until like two years ago. Oh, yeah. I've been singing since high school wrong, completely yeah. wrong. And I didn't really learn how to breathe and project correctly. And so I would be self-conscious and I would start singing. When I would get self-conscious, I'd move away from the mic and I would start singing out of the back of my head. And I've, once I started realizing that and tri- attributing that to the music, I, I was like you were saying, it was this freedom of, okay, just do it, yeah. figure it out, yeah. and then and then go from there. And so I, I feel like those two things are, are related. I don't remember where I was going with that. I had a point and I don't think that was Yoga. it. Meditation. No idea. I think meditation is important. Let's go with that. Meditation is Agreed. good. Just, just positive meditation, not negative meditation, because you can do either or. Negative meditation, like just like shit, you wake up yourself. and you're in a bad mood and you think about all the things in your life that mm. suck and how not good enough you are and how this yeah. is never going to work out and that's not ever and why even try and hopelessness and blah 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 blah, blah. Yeah. and then that becomes your life. Yeah. Or you focus on. These are my strengths. This is what I like. This is my life. Uh, I'm alive today. I've got my health. I love this person in my life. I can do these things today. I can take this one step. I can push the peanut, as my friend uh, uh, Tom says, push the peanut just a little bit more today. You know, it's like you can focus on what is good, and then your life goes that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd subscribe to that. It's very powerful, and it's 
the same thing people call prayer or meditation. I, I kind of see them as the same things. Sure. Prayer maybe is more in thanks or in worship towards God or whatever your concept of God is. And then meditation is, which in it, the Bible even talks about that, you know, uh, if there's anything good, meditate on these things. Right. So it's like, it's the same concept, you sure. know, find the good and meditate on that and your life will move in that direction. Right. I subscribe to that. Me too. I'm into that. I have a tough time with that. I'm prone pretty aggressively to depression and anxiety. Me too. So and self-deprecation. Really, That's my best friend. Or was for a it's long time. difficult to break that cycle is. For, for me and probably for anyone that's dealing with that. I think that's but, the human journey, really. Yeah. You know? You it's have to, becoming aware of what you're doing. Yeah. How you're thinking. Uh, believing that you have a choice. Yeah. And making the effort and having the faith that it'll work out differently if you... You know, if you take whatever step you can take every day. Yeah. It's like, you know, I get really overwhelmed and I, I've always had a lot of anxiety and all that stuff too and fear and stuff that I battled. I mean, I think that is, I think that's a human condition and I think it's amplified in artists. You know, we're just mm-hmm. like kind of more sensitive to emotions. Yeah. The artist temperament. Yeah, it's usually what pushes you to put pen to paper or pick up a guitar or whatever, you know, hit the drums or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I struggle with it too, um, which is another reason why I didn't want to live in a town where I felt like I had to be on all the time or I, had, or I was being judged, you know. And again, how much of that was me? Sure. What if I'd gone into it and been 100% positive the whole time because I was I was positive some but I was negative too a lot and I was doing a lot of things that you know made my life even more chaotic and then mad at myself about that on top of it all you know and kind of struggling through life shit right and I had a very negative outlook and a lot of good things still happened for me but you know I wonder sometimes I look back and I'm like I wonder how different my life would be if I knew then what I know now, but right. that's what everybody thinks. Sure. That's the, that's so, just part of the deal. I know it now and I live here and I'm doing this. And so that's where I am. So that's what I've got to work with. Yeah. So um, you seem happy and content I with feel, your current situation. I feel really happy. It radiates from you. Does it? it really does. Thank you. you, you have a, an air, a very comfortable, relaxed air about you a lot. I didn't know you before, so I don't yeah. have any other option of, I don't think a lot of, of what it was. But that's, I mean, every time confident. I see you... People really thought me more arrogant, maybe. Um, but I do feel a lot more content. Just, you know, I just made... I finally made a bunch of choices that were mine. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that, for your mental yeah. state. I mean... And I don't mean, like, anybody ever forced me to do something, but I did a lot of things... Right thinking I had to do things for certain reasons right. like approval or to get where I wanted to be or even like to be good you right. know to be you know whatever right and you know I worked really hard to get to a place where I said okay I'm just as messy as any other human being and that is okay right and I'm lovable and, and people <laughs> like me yeah. and I'm forgiven <laughs> you know um and just Every day that I meditate on that and function from that place of freedom is a good day. Yeah. The days that I wake up and see all the shit outside and allow myself to 
go down the rabbit holes of thinking how bad things could possibly get or what if this bad thing happens or being afraid to open my heart or afraid to put something out there, you know, whatever it is, those days are shit. (laughs) Yeah. So there's one real difference between those two days and it's how I'm thinking. For sure. And that is something that, you know, it's a battle, but you do have some control there. Sure. And you have control over things that you do in response to what you're thinking. Yeah. Because as a great therapist once told me, your brain is like a TV screen. And one minute you're watching a movie that you like. And the next, this commercial's coming at you. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. And all these things. And you think, you, oh, I need that. Or, oh, I wish I had that. Or, oh, my life, I'm not making enough money because I can't buy that. And it's like... You choose which of the messages that come across the screen you subscribe to or ascribe to. Right. You are the one that decides whether to change the channel. Right. Or to just ignore the commercials, put the mute button on until your movie comes back. Right. That's an active learning process for yourself to get to that point. It is. It's really hard to do when you've conditioned yourself for however long to do it the other way. Yeah. And we protect ourselves with negativity. I think sometimes it's like by expecting the worst, you don't, right. You don't get set up quite as bad to get hurt as you do. If you like believe the very best thing's going to happen and you did it and everything's going to be wonderful and fucking unicorns shitting rainbows. (laughs) And you know, if you expect that you can get equally as hurt, but you know, I think people and myself, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, felt like I was somehow protecting myself from being hurt by imagining the worst or thinking things were going to be crap all the time. Right. It's like... That's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. Eventually. It is. And I try to tell people that, you know, when I talk to people about what I've learned, you know, that is that is the most valuable lesson and it took me a long time because I remember my mom talking to me about stuff like that when I was little of course yeah absolutely I <laughs> and did it's too. like I had to see how bad I could hurt myself <laughs> you know and at some point I was like I don't want to feel bad anymore and I just made an effort to do something different and it felt good and now I know I have a choice right. and it takes a long time to reverse any bad habit for sure or thought pattern you know but you've got your life to do it yeah, that's a good lesson to learn that some people never learn. <clears throat> but I definitely feel that way. I learned that lesson uh, when I quit drinking. That was mm-hmm. the, for one of the first things oh, yeah. that I learned was that I was coping and masking. And when I had to deal with some of my issues head on mm-hmm. without the help of any sort of chemical uh, reactions or, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it was... I had to, I had to hash out a lot of stuff yeah. for myself yeah. and I came to that same conclusion yeah. was that when I started doing things my way, yeah. because I wanted to do them that way, yeah. that I was, regardless of the outcome, I was infinitely happier Yeah. and I try to, I try to pass that on as much as I can to anyone who's, you know, without being a preachy jerk about it, mm-hmm. you know, anyone who's willing to listen, you know, cause I, I try not to be that way, but anyway, I don't know. That's a. That's those are good lessons that I, I you know you want to help someone but you can't help them if they don't want to be helped they have to people have to find that out for, them, for themselves. themselves it's just like when you're a kid and your mom tells you that don't stick that fork in that electrical socket and you go well what does she know you might only do it once yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah 
So I never, I never did that. that yeah, I had to get I to a place I where that. I, I guess, um, wanted to help myself or, you know, I think there's, this is such a heavy topic. I'm just going to say, and I, you know, I've been reading, I read a bunch of Brene Brown books in the last year or so. She's an author from Houston. She's a sociologist, but she really studies how shame and vulnerability affect people and how it's affected our culture, like the fear of being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and the lingering shame that is what makes you afraid to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, for me, um, I had a lot of things that I needed to forgive myself for. Right. And that was, that has been the hardest journey for me is like the self love journey. Mm -hmm. Some people have rock solid confidence and loves them, love themselves and take care of themselves really easily and have healthy boundaries. And, you know, I did not. (laughs) Right. And I got hurt a lot. A lot of it was my own fault or let the wrong people in or whatever. And it's a hard, that was a hard journey for me and getting to a place where I loved myself enough to take good care of myself. And that, yeah. that, that was all part of the thinking journey too. Yeah, you know? for sure. That's important. It's important in life. It might be the most important. Yeah. There's so many, so much more important than things and, and, and all of that. I don't know. I, I try not to get too caught up in the amount of money that I'm making. As long as I'm paying my bills and, and yeah. I'm able to eat, yeah. you know, I could stand to miss a handful of meals probably. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't hurt me very badly, but you know what I mean? I, but that, you know, beyond that, it's all, it's all extra for me. You know, yeah. I didn't, I've never been one of those people that, I mean, it would be nice to have no, to want for nothing all the time, mm-hmm. but I, that's never been the end goal for mm-hmm. me. You know, musically, I, yeah. you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to make music that I wanted to hear, you know, the way I wanted to do it. But that's it takes a lot of courage to do that. It does. And I didn't always do it that way. I had the same revelation to, to a degree that, that you had, uh, just within the last year and a half where mm-hmm. I started playing songs, my songs, even songs that I wrote the more like the way that I wrote them rather than the way I thought people would like. Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden people started liking them more because mm-hmm. I was doing them. It was more real. People recognize immediately when you're trying to feed them something that's bullshit. They recognize that yeah, they do. instantly. Well, most people do. The people that I, the people that I'm interested, yeah, the people that I'm interested in impressing, they recognize Who are we that. Most of the world takes the shit that you feed. Yeah. Them. Well, you know, I've said a hundred times. I think that ninety nine point nine percent of the general population doesn't really know anything about music, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're just not interested in music. They, like, and there's nothing wrong with there's that. Other things to do. I don't know anything know? about engineering, and that's fine. Like right. that's not an issue. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm saying that to your point where people just don't know. People right. know what they like. They don't know why they like it. Yeah. They just know that they like it. Right. And so when I get super, super bogged down on like, oh, people like this, so I need to do something that's like that. And then they don't like it. And it's so obvious that then I was you, trying to yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm the guy you that's... feel dirty. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and so when I pulled myself up out of that, 
it was this revelation of holy crap I can do this the way I want if I want to play a guitar solo for five minutes then that's exactly what I'm going to do and the people are going to like it because I'm into it and the band's into it and And we're all having fun and if they don't who cares because someone (laughs) else will go to another show exactly exactly (laughs) and and there there are people who will if it's not if it's not this group then this group might and that's that was a big revelation for me I've told this this story when I put the band I took a year off and I played organ for Zach Wilkerson Mm -hmm. um and then I put my band back together uh, within the last year. Um, I came back with that attitude of, I don't care. I'm going to do my shows the way I want to do them. These are songs that I wrote that I like. We're going to do them like that. I'm not going to do them the other mm-hmm. way. And people started responding immediately to that. To my, I'll play my, I'll play guitar solo with my back to the audience <clears> so I can try to get a reaction out of my drummer just yeah. to be make him laugh or something because I'm having fun yeah. and that's fun for me that kind of stuff you reclaimed your power I on did. stage like, and we there was show. one specific show that we did early on in the putting of it back together uh, where I threw out uh, Spain by Chick Corea which is a crazy fast traditional jazz tune mm-hmm. and we do Stevie Wonder's version of it which is amazing uh, off that DVD that he did a few years back and uh, would have never in my life done that during the middle of one of my full band sets ever because I would have gone people would, people don't want to hear this they don't like this you know and we did it and that was the most popular song of the night people were coming up to us afterwards going holy crap that was awesome what was that you know and I awesome. in my for the last 10 years I would never have done that mm-hmm. ever you know and so it was like this huge revelation of like oh like, I can do what I want to do. That's what I'm up here for. That's mm-hmm. what this club hired me to do. Mm-hmm. They hired me to be me, not to try to be a ripoff right. of, of this person. So, I don't know. And that led me to you and I meeting Yep. In uh, at Magnolia Motor Lounge that yeah. night. Uh, oh, man, you had that was a Wednesday piano player night. and the drummer from Snarky Puppy. Right? Yeah, just the keyboard player. Uh, Sean Martin That's right. was playing with us that night on a, on a Wednesday evening. It was like a 7 to 9 Wednesday evening thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so that was kind of our official meeting. I had met you, if we're being honest, like six times before that. People always tell me this. It just makes <laughs> me feel really terrible. I'm a bad yeah. person, Chris. No, well, it was always in passing. So I don't, I mean, there's plenty of people who, who I've had that experience with who, as I just thought it was funny. You were like, oh, hey, like, I'm Bonnie. I was like, yeah, no, I know. And my boyfriend teases me because the night that I met him was actually like the seventh time I'd met him. And apparently one time I was at playing at Magnolia years ago and I was, uh, couldn't back my van out. And, uh, he came up and knocked on the window and backed my van out for me. And I still don't remember him. Well, anyways, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. When you, did I, I meet, meet you? So when people. did I meet you? Well, I, the most recent time was in, in Music Fest in Steamboat. You watched Zach Wilkerson's set. When was this? This past year, past January. You were just off, this past January. Yeah, you were hanging out with uh, at the ballroom with. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his name. You, uh, he's tour manager for. Drew Brown. Yeah, you were hanging out with Drew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You watched Zach Wilkerson's set. Yes. And I was playing keys and guitar for Zach on that show that you were sitting side stage watching. I do remember that. And then I came, we all came and talked to to Drew and I was introduced to you again. And that was the most recent time. And then about other times where at... Just in passing, probably in Fort Worth sometime when you've been playing. I do remember that show because I remember thinking like, damn, who's his piano player? Yeah, that was a really fun show. Really electric room. I really enjoyed that. That's a fun room. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, so we did that, and you you were into into that, yep. and that turned into the revival that we yep. did. I saw you at uh, Magnolia. I saw you, and uh, and I was I'd done that revival in Nashville with another awesome group of musicians there for four years, and I really wanted to do it here in Nashville. I'm sorry, hell, here in Fort Worth, and um, so I was asking, I was trying to meet people. Yeah. To kind of get a vibe for where I should do that and who would want to, you know, collaborate. And I was at your show, and I, you were actually playing before I was playing next door. And I was just there That's for right. like 10 minutes. At Capital Bar. And I was like, who is that? I was like, I need to know that guy. <laughs> because, like, that's more the style of yeah. music that I was looking for when I moved here. And, yeah. I'm, you know, there's... There, I'm really glad that you do what you do, and there's um, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. It's not it's not the Texas country scene that it was when I left ten years ago. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, yeah, that revival was so much fun. That was a blast. And putting that whole thing together <clears throat> was stressful, but it was really really fun. And you know, it's having always stressful. And I we even had like we we were so prepared. We had like lyric sheets for all the backup yeah. singers, and um, man. It was I was, fun. I was. Ex- you brought in the drummer and the bass player. Yeah. I found keyboard player through Michael Clemmer. Right. And then we Call got him. Michael to end up staying for the whole set. He was so damn good. Yeah. He sang that Joe Cocker song. Yeah. He, he sang it. the hell out of it. That's down the middle killed of his alley it. with his voice. I mean, Man. that's so perfect for him. He's he's amazing. And then uh, yeah, I had my Dallas buddies come over um, mm-hmm. horn section. Mm-hmm. Preston's from Fort Worth, right? He was my tenor player for about okay. three years, okay. three and three or four years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then D. I uh, met Daniel at a funeral. I hired him at a funeral that I did a couple months ago, where I or back in the summer actually. I needed a, I wanted cello and trumpet for this one song <laughs> for a funeral. I played piano and yeah, he played trumpet. And this and Buffy uh, Covington. I can't remember her last name. She's cello player for Polyphonic Spree. Um, now she's on tour with Hamilton, so nobody mm-hmm. will never get to use her again. No, not for the same price. <laughs> no. Um, but anyway, she, uh, yeah, I met Daniel through um, Bo Bedford with the mm-hmm. Texas Gents. And then the Gents, I got them to come do mm-hmm. the second half of the revival. Yeah. That was really fun, too. And then the end, we all got up together. We did. That was there's some really cool video floating around. I need around. to see it. I have not. It's seen on any. Facebook. What? I was tagged in a couple of videos. I'll see if I can find them when I we're done here. I thought we hired too. a videographer. I need to follow up because I think <laughs> I, I think we had a videographer and maybe he's just waiting for me to um, give him some money and he'll edit that for me. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Daniel, the trumpet player, Hardaway. He was my first trumpet player when I put a horn section together no about six years ago. And see, you didn't know. So when we were when we were coordinating, because you helped me get the band together, yeah. and I was like, I've got horn guys. Yeah, and then I was like, Well, said, I might need your horn guys. Yeah. And I was like, No, mine are good. Yeah, you just said, Well, I've got this guy. You never said his name. <laughs> and then he walked up, and I was like, Oh, I know these guys. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, that was funny. And some other people knew each other too. I love when that happens. That's that's the whole point. It's like, you know, reminding you in a good way the world is small and, you know, you're connected to other human beings and, yeah. you know, you're part of a family. Like, I just think that's important. I don't I don't get the elitism and, you no. know, who's better and who's worse. It's like there's always going to be that. There's always going to be different levels of talent, different levels of success. But, you know, I just enjoy collaborating. I think it makes us better people. Yeah, I agree. And better musicians. I agree. And that was a really fun version of it. And yeah. everyone, it's it's the connection um, on the bottom no, of it that's it's loose. Fine. I shouldn't have touched it. 
yeah. Yeah, it was the collaboration. Discount was... gear that I bought on Amazon. <laughs> it was great gear, whatever. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it was just that was just a really fun experience. And you you said that you used to do it monthly. We did it monthly, pretty much in Nashville. Probably did like thirty to forty shows over a four year period. Yeah, yeah, and it was the same kind of deal. We had the same, but we had the same band for four years. Right. So we had the same drummer, same drummer, same lead guitar player, and one of the horns was the same. And then me and one of the other backup singers. So there were about five of us that were there for all of them. Mm-hmm. And then we rotated bass players and piano players, and we had some amazing... I'm sure. Oh, my God. There were some good players up there that and, uh, could pull that stuff off. Roy Agee might be one of the best trombone players in the world. He played for Prince. He used to come do the revival anytime. And these guys got paid 100 bucks, man. Right. They got paid 100 bucks a man. Yeah. And they were literally flying in from the Robin Ford tour or, you know, <laughs> right. oh, I just got back from tour with Stapleton. Right. You know, whatever. Um, and then we would do uh, guest singers um, every month I would have at least two different people and so they would bring some new songs or sure. they'd pick something from like you know the book yeah. that we had so I had this book and this is not my experience I'm, I don't consider myself a very good band leader I'm learning but part of how I learned to be a great band leader is because of um, Adam Fleur who was the lead guitar player in the revival from the beginning mm. and he um he was the one that would get all the charts together and put everything in Dropbox. So it's like all the charts were there. Right. I, I eventually, after a couple of years, figured out like it was a lot easier for all the singers, myself included, when you have to sing background harmonies to have the words there in front of you. Of course. And in bold, like this is the part you sing, you right. know, and the regular part is the part you don't sing. Right. And so I eventually put together lyric sheets. And over a four-year period, we have just like a 50-song repertoire, right? <laughs> uh, MP3s and lyrics yeah. and charts. It was very well organized so, when, when I got a hold of it. Yeah. I was pretty pleased. So you had to do some charting, I think, because I had bit. a lot of new songs yeah, that I, a handful I threw and, in there. Um, but it was it's nice when everyone's the got the same chart. That's the goal, is that it, it's seamless. And the, we never did a rehearsal on the revival. Right. Everybody was expected to learn their parts and right. to show up. And that is a level of professionalism that is enviable. Right. And it's like, oh, it's not, a, you know, that's up to every man. Right. You had an 11 piece band. Right. And you trusted that every single person was going to listen to the music, have the chart, know it enough to perform. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the singers. Right. And there was always a spirit of like nervousness right before like, holy shit, are we going to pull this off? <laughs> this is a lot of material and we yeah. don't know each other and we've never played this together. And it's yeah. like, and I think that's part of what makes music fun is the fear of failing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're out there in front of these people and you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and it's kind of like, everybody's just put your best smile on a play your ass yeah, off and yeah. hope it works yeah. out and it and it does yeah. and that's what that's the spirit that I love and we had a couple of near misses <laughs> where the plane was going down and then at the last second before impact it got pulled up oh and like it was, where somebody was in the wrong key yeah, for a minute we had, or we had like, a couple of near misses yeah. and then it all everyone kind of the thing about the the caliber of the players that we had on ours was that everyone is a really good listener yeah those are all people that i've played with yeah. before yeah and they're all very head on a swivel ears wide yeah. open you know yeah, you have to listen you have to listen on was, stage yeah. or else you're staring at a chart and that's there's no spirit yeah. in that it but. was uh i i had a blast and everyone that was there had a blast i said still people will mention it in I passing know people talk to me about it too we're gonna do another one for sure um maybe around easter i thought that could be a good time there's mother's day there you know it's good to do it on a day where people are already trying to go out and congregate yeah we did that one you know, we turned that into a benefit for Hurricane Harvey, which yeah. 
I think helped to bring people out. But mm-hmm. um, we also did it alongside Chicken Shit Bingo. Right. <laughs> and uh, had which, food trucks come out. Yeah. Two thirds of which got shut down for health violations. Did they? Yes. I before didn't know anybody that. even got there, oh, the, no. the people showed up, whoever the people are that inspect documents, and they went on to. Um, the first trailer and they took one look at it and they were like "Mm -mm." and they sent her home (laughs) and then the other food truck didn't have they had like a $75 fine from the last time they didn't have a permit and they basically just refused to pay it so they went home (laughs) so the last man standing was my buddy um, Greg I can't remember his last name suddenly from high school Uh, he owns Pearl Snap Kolaches And uh, we went to high school together in Houston. And um, when I when I started coming to Fort Worth years ago, I met I ran into him at a show, and and I I remember when he opened that kolache place, and and I just thought it was such a great product. And so I had gotten him to come out and make burgers, and thank God he did, <laughs> he because he one. was the only one that survived. <laughs> he had all his permits, and he had enough meat, and I think he sold like five hundred burgers or something yeah, ridiculous geez, that day. Great. And he donated two dollars off the top to the yeah. charity for everything he sold. That's pretty awesome. But and it's such a good burger, and thank God, yeah. you know, that, everything they do over there is amazing. And that's the thing with those events that I've learned from doing the revival that many times. It's like. You have to create an event. It's not enough to play a show. Right. You know, it's like... The chicken shit bingo and the food and the coffee and the hangout. Yeah, you make it a hang. Yeah. You know, for for something like that, you know. Um, and, and, And the revival to me was is all about creating a gathering space. Yeah. For people to come and feel nourished on every level like yeah. you know to like feel good and be loved and like be in a space where you're just free to be yourself and like there's music there's food there's fun it's like you tie a benefit into it where you're doing good for the community and it's like everybody feels good yeah and like i love to create those environments and and it's why i like to have people over and cook for them yeah. you know i just like to create spaces where people feel good, you definitely, know? and uh, and that's why it's called a revival because yeah. we all need to be revived <laughs> in a world like this. Yeah, well, I loved it. I was thrilled that you asked me to be a part of it. It was really fun. It for was me. fun. You were a huge help. I, you know, really, really could not have done that without your help. Well, so we had a great time. We'll thank do it again. You. We will do it again, and I look forward to that. Especially, I would like to know if I can turn on my interview hat. <laughs> put put on my interview hat. I don't know what I just said uh, about your vocal upbringing, because I find you to be one of the most tremendous that things loose. I don't know what to do about it to be one of the most tremendous vocalists that I know personally, especially there's a certain texture of your voice and I compare it to a person and I don't, I'm not going to put you, I'm not going to put it on you like that, but there's a, it's got a, it's a very specific style of singing and it's super raw and I did you did you have a lot of formal I mean you said you were in choir yeah did you I have a lot, a lot of, formal? of formal training when I was younger um I had private lessons from age 13 to 20 and um you know singing classical music yeah um and then I got into opera music because my teacher in Houston was part of the opera department at Rice and I, I almost went to school there because she wanted me to mm-hmm. but I was I was like I'm not going to be able to keep up academically I'll drown at Rice <laughs> um, but yeah I I had great training that taught me um, before I ruined my voice with whiskey and bad PAs and smoking <laughs> I learned I found the power of it 
right. through those lessons, through like connecting right. the breath and kind of doing things that I never thought I could do. I had like a four octave range. Yeah. I still do. It's still in there. But that's a lot. They taught me. She taught me how to push the breath from my diaphragm where and and to let go because opera singing, classical singing is all about like letting go of the muscles, not trying to control the sound, which right. is another wonderful metaphor for life. <laughs> but you know, your vocal cords are two thin sheets of paper, right. and when the wind comes through, the breath comes through, they vibrate, and that's what makes sound. Right. When you do it right, they vibrate equally. At, at a certain thing and you can slow your vibrato down or whatever, but the free right. voice just vibrates at a, at a certain rate and right. it's equal. And then when you start singing from your throat, it's doing this and it's Ooh. rubbing against each other right. and they're hitting That's and they're bad. creating blisters, which turn into nodes, right. which are like warts basically on your vocal cords. Right. Now you can sing through that. In fact, that's what gives texture to voices like Bonnie Raitt and Bonnie Bishop okay. and Janis Joplin <laughs> that you got just enough damage to right. give it its own texture and quality, but you're still, but most people who get hurt like that have yeah. to relearn how to sing. And I was definitely one of those people. Right. To sing to, to the style of yeah, the because, new sound. Yeah. Because, well, when I started, you know, writing songs and going out into bars, I didn't know how to sing on a PA. Right. Because That's singing in opera was, uh, there was no PA. Right. It's just pure projection. It's just pure projection. So I sang really, really hard <laughs> <clears throat> for a long time, way harder than I needed to. And also I quit warming up and doing all the good things that I'm supposed to do. And I right. started drinking milk and wine and whiskey and coffee. And I, I'm not sure I had a glass of water till I'm 30. And I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. I did not drink water for like until I was 30 <laughs> and you know I started having a lot of vocal problems I went to see this the um, best vocal clinic in the world is in Nashville at Vanderbilt of course because all those singers that can't sing have to go in and get fixed <laughs> and so um, I had one of those scopes done where they video your vocal cords and I learned what my what was going on and uh -huh. where the damage was coming from and there were a few times kind of around 33 to 35 that I was struggling so much with my voice that I thought I had done too much damage and I'd lost it right and um, it really scared me sure and that was around the time that I actually left Nashville and came home and said I was quitting music you know oh wow uh, I, I a lot of it was you know kind of coming to an end with beating my head against the brick wall on mm -hmm. the road and, and, you know, struggling to survive and not having a team. This was before I ever had a record deal. You know, sure. I'd already been in it for 13 years at that point, mm -hmm. still booking myself. And, um, <clears throat> so I came home and quit singing and, and, and realized, you know, that I, that I still wanted to sing, but I was going to have to figure out a different way to do it. Right. And so I learned to use my breath again and because the, my vocal cords are physically different, they can't do what they used to do, mm -hmm. but they are still an incredible instrument and they have a texture. You know, this, the breath power is still there, which is where your power comes from. It's from your diaphragm. It's right. not from your throat. Right. And learning to, again, metaphorically and practically let go right. and let the sound out, let my unique sound out as it was without trying to control it and control the vibrato. I just had to learn how to sing all over again. Right. And, um, 
that's why yoga has part of why yoga has been so valuable to me is you know I can sing I can sing standing on my head right because my diaphragm is engaged in the same way that it needs to be right to stand on your head or to sing wow so um I'm pretty envious of all of that. I never had any of that. I had to watch a handful of YouTube videos just to get oh, to man. a point where I was comfortable enough singing. Well, luckily, there's a lot of great videos now. There are now. Just, there weren't, obviously, when I started yeah. or maybe when you started, yeah. but there is a lot out there. And um, and it's, you know, it's important to take care of your instrument, your vocal instrument, because, you know, it's in your body. It's not like one that you could send to <laughs> right. the luthier to get set up when it sounds like shit. Right. It's in your body. So what you eat, yeah. uh, what you, what you eat, drink, what you eat, what, how much sleep you get, um, how much you talk all day, yeah. the way you talk, the volume you talk at, right. you know, all exactly. of that stuff. Yeah. And my vocal teachers always <laughs> told me that talking was the worst thing for your voice. Right. And I kind of learned, I did, I learned to talk in a different tone than I used to. Yeah. Because I used to talk down here and it's just like, (laughs) you know, just vocal cords are beating the shit out of each other. Right. I just had that conversation with someone recently. I'm comfortable enough singing now that I can sing four or five, six nights a week Mm -hmm. and be okay Mm -hmm. if I have to. Mm -hmm. But what really kills me is talking to people in the bar after the show. After the show. That kills everybody. If I could stop singing and then pack up and just go home. Yeah. My voice would be fine. I sing every night, but having an hour's worth of conversation, talking over music, talking over other people for an hour or more it's afterward, it is absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. It's crazy. It's what the worst part. Means. It's the worst part. And I never really had to do a lot of early morning interviews. I didn't have to, I did some, but mm-hmm. some of these artists schedules like major artists when they're out releasing a record, yeah. they're up at 5am. They're doing interviews all day, yeah. meet and greets and yeah. all that shit, record in stores and all that. And then going on stage at night. Yeah. It's amazing. Every day for a tour for three weeks or I read a great long. article wow. that said the, you know, there, it's a twofold problem. One, nobody's selling records anymore, so the the only way to make a living in the tour in the music industry is to tour, is to go out and play. Right. But that model, the touring model, basically puts all the pressure upon the weakest link in the system, which is the human. Right. For sure. With these delicate sheets of paper that are supposed to work. Right. And and you're you're asking your body to do and your voice to do more than it was ever designed to do. Celine Dion has, you know, whether you like her or not, she's got one of the most powerful, incredible instruments in the world alive today. And she sings like seven nights a week in Vegas. She doesn't talk all day. Right. She's on vocal rest all day. Right. That's crazy. It is crazy. Be really difficult. Hard to, to be do. in a relationship with somebody like that. Or just, well, actually, I know somebody live. who doesn't talk all day. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's and it's. You know, I didn't used to do any of that stuff. Yeah. To take care of myself, I didn't drink lemon water, or gurgle salt water, any of that stuff sure. that I do now. Or warm up. I didn't even warm up through my twenties. I, I but my I do it now. Up, my warm up game is pretty weak. <clears throat> I have it? an I have an app. I found I found an app. That's good. And then they stopped updating it, so it okay. doesn't work anymore. But I found an app. And I'm sure there are more. It was a vocal training app, so it okay. had warm ups and it had uh, <clears throat> uh, drills. Okay. And I did it, and I I loved it. Yeah. And then I still I, have a CD that one app of my stopped working, so I Austin teachers it. gave me. Yeah. Yeah. With warm up drills. Yeah, I just got to find something that plays CDs now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most cars don't do that anymore. Nope. Or or computers. Or your car 
probably my has car doesn't an, have, have radio a, an, in it an eight track player in it no close <laughs> i think somebody installed an aftermarket but it's a 91 i have a 91 so it's yeah. uh it's such a cool car it is a really cool car um the radio doesn't work but it still has the original um first aid kit that mercedes installed in really? all their mercedes yeah it's like <laughs> a first awesome. aid kit with a big cross on the outside yeah. like under the or oh, uh, right behind the back seat that's awesome headrest <laughs> i know it's a great car but it's a tank I, I ride in silence yeah yeah it's good for you which is fine it's... where i put my headphones on which is illegal but and unsafe nobody's listening <laughs> <laughs> yeah no one's, no one's gonna hear this yeah no, nobody's gonna check this out seems really unsafe i mean i don't know i wouldn't do that i had it when i was riding motorcycles a lot i had a helmet that had built-in bluetooth speakers in the helmet yeah and i would listen to music and yeah. just totally zone out which is like the worst yeah, thing you're to already do on a motorcycle, on a motorcycle. Oh, you're worst. already doing something you shouldn't be doing it's the worst yeah ryan and i used to ride around a lot together uh yeah i know he still does <clears throat> he gets a wild hair and goes riding out yeah. late at night and stuff like that yeah i get it i mean it makes me feel like billy badass to ride on the back of a motorcycle <laughs> until i have to slam on the brakes and there's a truck coming you know? yeah it's uh it's sketchy <laughs> my mom uh, is a speech pathologist, so mm-hmm. a lot of the, the throat stuff that you'll that you were talking about, she'll mm-hmm. appreciate. Yeah, because um, um, she'll listen to this. Yeah. So hi, mom. But I will tell you, lemon water is your friend. Is it? Mm-hmm. It breaks up the. It's something to, for. The I, I think it has to do with throat? alkalinity because uh, even though it's a citrus, it's an acid fruit. Right. When it hits your system, it has an alkaline reaction in your body, mm-hmm. and the more acidic your body is. It's just like, that's just general. That's bad. Yeah, that's general bad. And I know with gurgling salt water, like that, that takes care of phlegm. That keeps any phlegm or other weird stuff you've got going on. It keeps it from um, traveling down and becoming a bigger infection. That's good. Gurgling warm salt water. I drink a ton of lemon water. Well, I drink lemon water in the morning and then I drink warm lemon water before I play. What about like hot teas or anything like that do you mess I'm with that i'm not into teas just because i mean if it's too hot it's if damaging it has caffeine in it it's stripping your vocal cords same with coffee same with really? wine i drink coffee before every show <laughs> i know well i usually do too because i'm tired but it <laughs> yeah. does strip your it strips the moisture out of your body i didn't know that um maybe drink uh, i should be writing this down for every I'm cup not... of coffee you want to drink you know 10 ounces of water yeah so that'll help to it. balance it out mm-hmm. okay i drink when I, if I want something hot and I'm trying to be nice to myself, uh, I'll drink the caffeine free mint teas. You know, okay. those are great. Do you um, ever mess with the throat coat tea? Have you ever mess with that? I drink it, but I just feel like it's a marketing thing. You think so? I like it. I mean, it, yeah. it coats it like it's, it feels, it's got that licorice mm-hmm. texture mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it works. I don't know. I don't know I if it makes, makes you it different. feel better. I mean, th- how much of it is how we feel? You know, if you think you can sing, you can sing. If sure. you feel good and you're like, I can feel, I think I can hit these notes. But right. if you're like, oh God, my voice doesn't sound good. And then you go out there and right. you're flat all night long. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know that experience yeah, pretty me too. well. Me too. <laughs> So, but I was saying my mom is a speech pathologist and she works with uh, head trauma patients okay. uh, in a hospital up in Denver. 
and she'll text me pretty much every time someone comes in with a motorcycle accident. Oh, I bet. And she's, she'll tell me, well, have you been riding? Uh, yeah. Maybe sometimes. And you don't even have a, there's no helmet law in Texas, is there? No, but I always wear one. Yeah. I'm, I'm not one of those people. I always wear that and I always wear gloves. I've got gloves that have like plastic over the yeah. knuckles just in case. Yeah. I have a jacket that I don't always wear because it's kind of hot. Yeah. But she'll text me, and she's yeah. always super worried about it. But yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, it's... That's what moms I, are there for. Yeah, and I appreciate it. And she's got the knowledge to do it. You know, she, she'll explain it to me, what happened. The guy was wearing a helmet. It still did this. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. Someone mm-hmm. hit him. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. That's what you... I've been riding motorcycles... That's the thing. It's not the motorcycle riders that are the problem. It's that people don't see them. It's the drivers. It's hardly ever the cycle's fault, Mm -hmm. for sure. And that's why they're so loud. And everyone bitches about them being loud, Mm -hmm. but that's why. Mm -hmm. So you know they're there. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had to rev up at people trying to come over that didn't know I was there. And they Mm -hmm. they hear it and move back over. But I've never gone down uh, in any kind of terrible way. Luckily yeah. at this point, and I'm I don't ride as much as I used to, so I think it's yeah. probably good. But yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It's scary. I've been doing it forever. I love it though. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's the most liberating experience to me, and I don't really know why. Yeah. Firing big loud guns yeah. <laughs> and riding motorcycles. Ride I've never combined Thin the two line between life and death, and I've, you're dancing it. Maybe I've that's never. Fun. Yeah, I've never combined the two. Maybe one of these days. <laughs> I'll go riding I'll do down that. the road shooting. Yeah, my gun. shooting my AK or whatever. Yeah, I'm into that. Well, you are in Texas. You hey, can do it. <laughs> I, I can do that. If, if I'm out in the country, there's no, if, you know, it's not illegal if nobody sees it happen. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I'm into that. Have you been playing instruments your whole life? You said you mentioned earlier you play multiple instruments. Well, I play piano and guitar. I knew that. And I started playing piano when I was about nine, but like you only had like a year and a half, two years lessons, and then I was like, right. I don't want to do this. That's what I did. And then uh, I regretted it. Oh, yeah. I regret it now. Yeah, every day. (laughs) Um, But I didn't pick up guitar until I was 26. So I'd already been playing music, uh, making money at music for about four years at that point. So were you just singing? You were just front? I was singing and I was slapping my hip. Yeah, with a tambourine. Just like keeping (laughs) beat because I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. And uh, I had a, a... Somebody made fun of me that I couldn't play guitar, and it pissed me off. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to learn how to play guitar. So uh, one January, I I remember it was January because it was really cold, and I had no gigs. And I sat for a month, 30 days, and I played that guitar, not kidding, for 8 to 12 hours a day. I just sat on the couch, like, strumming. So it's like sometimes you'll get, like, a... A spirit like I'm, I'm ready to do this. Like right. I'm gonna clean out my closet today. Yeah, for you know? sure. I'm gonna paint that room. Yeah, I was gonna learn to play guitar, and that was I sat there for 30 days until I could do it. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. And then six months later, my rhythm guitar player quit, and I had to start playing on stage. And yeah. I was terrible. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so horrible because I could really only play G, C, D, and E minor and A minor. <laughs> um, so I used a lot of capos and the songs I couldn't play. I didn't play, but. Um, yeah, there's nothing like being thrown to the fire to make you learn something. It makes you better, faster, yeah. for sure. And then I think when I was when I moved to Nashville, um, I had my uh, my mom sent the piano that's in my living room now. Mm. Um, it was a that was my childhood instrument. It was my real father's piano. Yeah. And when he and my mom got divorced, he left it behind. He said I could have it. And so I always had this kind of like love hate relationship with that piano it's not very easy to play it's a shimmel they're very rare yeah. and that one in particular i know now because when i was in europe 
a couple or last month, I played a shimmel that had an amazing action. It was very easy to play. Yeah. But that one is not. It's tight, and you really have to. I was noticing notice that it. earlier. Yeah. It was pretty. But when you're six years old and you've got tiny little midget hands, it's like it takes <laughs> right. more power yeah. than you've got. Yeah. And so I, I struggled with that piano, and I kind of like blamed the piano. I'm more of an organ player in general as well, which is unweighted yes. to the max. So yes. when I play on weighted keys anyway, yes. and I noticed, I even noticed it on that even yeah. more than normal weighted yeah. keys. Yeah. Yeah. It was, but I mean, it gets you there, but my hands would cramp up. Yeah. Immediately. Oh, mine did too. Mine did too. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, I didn't pick up the piano again until I was about 30. So yeah. I went, you know, what is that? Nine to 30, 21 years. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I have a great relationship with it now. Yeah. Like, you're good at it. I, I like mean, it. You play it I'm well. Not, it's it natural for me, but I don't practice enough to be great at it. And yeah. that's, that's something that, uh, I think if I played live every night, it'd be different. You right. Know? If you but, forced yourself. Yeah. So if I play it every day and I enjoy playing it here again, right. something about being here and being removed from all the people that are doing it for, right. you know, the wrong reasons. I just have a space to create where yeah. I'm nice to myself. So if I sound terrible, <laughs> I laugh. Right. Of course. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's <laughs> totally the thing. Yeah. Trying to like return to having a good relationship with the creative process yeah. musically. Yeah. You know, we're well, so conditioned to hear the wrong note and then cringe and go, yeah. oh, that was to terrible. Judge yourself. Yeah. yeah. I or do even that. Like if you only play on stage, you know, some people are like, Oh, I'm not going to practice. I'll wait till I'm getting paid. But it's like, <laughs> But then you're on stage. I have this is me, but I have these moments where I'm on stage and I'm like, man, I wish I'd put in a couple of hours of practice right. this week because then I'd be more comfortable and I'd be listening and having fun instead of worrying about right. hitting the right notes. For sure, you know, it's really comfort level. Yeah. And some people are super comfortable on on stage and others are nervous. And I'm too nervous to not practice in my spare time. So. For sure, yeah, I know I'm, that about myself. So yeah. I do. I definitely do that when it's something that I really need to be right, and I'm concerned about it. I would rather be concerned in the comfort of my own home, like than I'm, on stage. I'm sitting in with Ryan and his band tomorrow night, and so I practiced last night. I'm on practicing piano? today. Yeah, on piano. Yeah. Nobody's ever asked me to sit in on piano before. Yeah, I've sung sung backup for people for years, but nobody sure. ever asked me to sit in on piano. So, you know, I'm super, yeah. <laughs> I'm super nervous, but I'm like, great. I wanted that. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. It makes, um, just makes you better. Yeah. It gives you a reason to practice, which exactly. is always good. And it just makes you better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm into that. I, I could never get my any of my students. I taught lessons, theory lessons for years and mm -hmm. years, and I could never get my students to experience that. The joy of practicing. practicing the joy the of The reward of just yeah. getting better. I know my teachers were probably all frustrated with me. Yeah. My vocal teachers, too. It's like I showed up for lessons, but I didn't practice my music in the week between. Yeah, and they know. And you, act like you try know. to act like you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you did it, and they know. I know, and they you know they give you time because that's what teachers do. They invest, yeah, you know. But for it's sure. so much more rewarding for everybody when you yeah. put some effort into your craft. Definitely. You know? I have to wait until Chelsea is not in the house oh, really? to do it, though. Or I, she's a non-musician. She's not a musician, okay. and she's the most supportive person that I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. Of me and all of my stupid endeavors, mm -hmm. all of the money I waste on fishing equipment mm -hmm. and golf and whatever else that I'm into, she just goes, "Well, if that's what you want to do, then mm -hmm. you should do it." But she'll never ever tell me if it's bad. Yeah, 
and then even when I know it's bad, but I have to, she has to be out of the house, or yeah. I, I don't, I don't get into it as yeah. much. I won't, I won't. If I'm trying to hit a vocal part or do yeah. something, work on something that I want to do, yeah. I don't allow myself to, like you said, to yeah. just let it go and do it yeah. when she's anywhere in the house. Yeah. <laughs> she can't even be I like in that. the backyard. I'm just afraid that someone's going to hear it. I understand so. that. I felt that way growing up, and I think that's part of why I didn't practice is because my older sister was always like, quit playing the same part over and over again. You're yeah. driving me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's like, well, fuck you. I'm practicing. Yeah, you know? that's how it works. You know? Yeah. So I, you know, if you have those experiences that make you afraid to hit bad notes, practice can be a miserable experience. Yeah, for know? sure. That's what uh, Glenn was it? Who was it? Don Henley, who was living above Jackson Brown when he was writing Doctor My Eyes. And have you seen the Eagles documentary? I have not. Oh my god! I have not. I've okay. watched it like fifty times. It's so great. If you like the Eagles, okay. If you don't like the Eagles, you probably wouldn't like it because okay. it's about the Eagles. Okay. Uh, but he was saying he lived in a tiny apartment, and Jackson Brown lived in the basement of his apartment, mm-hmm. and he was down there writing Doctor My Eyes, and he said that he could hear him wake up, put the coffee on, and then play the same thing for hours and hours oh, the first verse of Dr. My Eyes while he was writing it oh, and perfecting man. it yeah. for hours and then you would hear him take a break you would hear the tea kettle go off yeah. and you'd hear yeah. him take a break or whatever and that's, it's, that's he said that's how you that's how you craft a song yeah. you just put in the elbow grease and that's the time exactly. and it's that's what that reminds like me of my you, life is like here your sister yelling at you oh, and yeah. it's like well I have to do that I, I have to play this 50,000 times or it's not going to be right yep. you know that's, after I write a song I'll play it to myself a hundred times and just it'll evolve into you know into something new just within a week of writing it for that same reason just keep playing it yep. or, or I'll throw it away because it's terrible my Usually old publisher Bobby in Nashville used to call that honing your craft that's what it is that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. I, I don't I think the non-musician population realizes the amount of work that goes into something like that I mean for sure it's well, not doesn't just some people it comes naturally to, but they you still have to yeah, dial it in. There's always a whole lot of behind the scenes work people don't yeah. ever know about. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they don't need to know. No, I don't want them to know the amount of blood and sweat and tears that go into the one song that you heard me play for yeah. three minutes that I said was new. I don't you don't think need they to feel know the sorry six months. for us, and it just wouldn't be as glamorous <laughs> no, anymore. No, you don't need to worry about the six <laughs> months still worth be of. Like, Screw you! I go to I go to a desk job every day. Yeah, I sit yeah. in traffic for two hours. Yeah, you're sitting in your pajamas writing songs at two p.m. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> With the, wiping the, the sleep out of your eyes <laughs> at two p.m. That's my life for sure. Yep, I had to set an alarm life. to get over here. That's all right. At two or whatever time I got here. I'm okay with it. I'm not complaining about it. It's okay. Chelsea gets up at like like five, five thirty. You know, she likes her job and I'm you know, we're both thankful for that, but I get up early because I like to be creative early because if I don't, I won't do it later. So I kind of try to create everything I want to create before two. Yeah. And then I do like, if I have to make like business calls and crap like that or, yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's been proven that people are the at most, night, but I can't write at night. Yeah. I think people are the most productive mentally, creatively, probably early. Yeah. There's something, Fresh, there's like, yeah, there's something inspiring the day about, isn't on you yet. There's something inspiring about a, the, the golden, the morning golden time of day, mm-hmm. but I don't see very many of those. 
When I do, I'm always, I always go, man, I should really I should get, I should up, get up at like so six every day and just be productive. And then, and then midnight comes and I'm still playing and I'm like, fuck, I've been up since six. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. And then I'm downing coffee and ruining my vocal cords. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, see, it's all comes full circle. <laughs> so I don't know. I always like it though when I do it, but I don't do it enough. I do it. I did a lot for golf. I, that's the only thing that I'll get up before the sun comes up. Golf and fishing were the only two things. The best fishing in the early spring is done right before the sun comes mm-hmm. up. It's the best fishing all day. Mm-hmm. So I'll get up at four and drive mm-hmm. to the lake and wait until, you know, eat my mm-hmm. McDonald's sausage biscuit and sit there and wait. <laughs> do you want to delete that from the record? No, I'll do it. You know what? I, I don't have a problem with McDonald's breakfast. I have a problem with the rest of McDonald's, but it's hard to mess up biscuits and eggs and sausage, right? Like it's, it's oh, all that's kind not of the sausage, same thing. my friend. Okay, well, I think it is, and I'm going to stick with You're that. kitty, kitty. Um, hey, it's, it's delicious. It's so good. Oh, a lot of people like cats. <laughs> Dog, whatever, hey, they, goat, It's in there. Horses. I don't care. You're not going to change my opinion of it. That's fine. (laughs) I don't know how to case my own sausage, so until I learn how to do that... Is that a metaphor? (laughs) It might might be. Uh, We'll have to dive into that one on another... Next time, yeah. We're going downhill now. No pun intended. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. But early morning is good. I don't know. I would love to write with you sometime. I know we've talked about that. I have some ideas. I'm trying to write for a new record unofficially that I want to do another record in the spring that I've got about half of it done and they're all slow songs Oof. and that's not you don't want to write with me then that's, that's not, all I write that's not common for me though because that entire record that I did that black white and gray record uh, was all upbeat like fast funk tunes yeah and that was it's all I could write at the time and now all I'm Just writing write is write what you write right like now 6-8 like R&B style funk tunes that's what's coming out I don't know Here's the thing in my writing that I've also noticed is that nothing really exceptionally bad has happened to me in a long time. So I don't really have a whole lot to write about right now. Yeah, too happy. I'm not, yeah, I mean, it's not that I'm... Maybe you should fish and golf for a while. It's not that I'm, that's a good point. (laughs) It's not that I'm too happy. It's just that nothing tumultuous has occurred in my life in a couple of years yeah well most of my adult life has been has been bookended by a lot of drinking Mm -hmm. and a lot of uh self-loathing oh yeah and destruction for sure and that creates a lot of material in its own way yeah that's how i wrote my first five records yeah and so i'm not really sure where to go which is why i've been collaborating with other people Mm -hmm. (laughs) lately i'm a musician first i've been playing instruments i've been playing guitar bass drums and piano since i was under 10 Mm -hmm. and so i'm a musician and an arranger and composer first Mm -hmm. and so i didn't start writing lyrics until after high school Mm And so, like, I've got songs that I've written that don't have words that, you know, I could send you five of them that I've made demos on and just say, write you know lyrics to this. the last song that I wrote was probably eight months ago. Yeah? I've been writing this book about my dad. Yeah. And um, I haven't. I haven't touched songs. I have enough songs. I'm waiting to make my next record. Yeah. And I've just got a bunch of songs that I really love. I'm not trying not to play them too much, so I hate them. <laughs> right. But uh, I haven't written... I don't think I've... I maybe wrote one song since I left Nashville, but I just kind of was like... Yeah. Giving it a breather and just playing playing my piano and writing that book and doing something different just waiting to... Yeah. That's how, I, that's how the last record came about, by not writing songs. Yeah. 
It just started so, happening yeah, organically. Yeah. I'd be afraid we'd sit in the room and I wouldn't have anything to say. Yeah. Well. I well, tried to write with Bonnie Bishop. Man, she sucks. <laughs> That's what I'll say on my she next podcast. Any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just go. I don't this know how is, she ever had a career. She must have gotten all those songs from other people. How many Grammys does she have? <laughs> how many Grammys do you have? One. Grammy. One. That's incredible. Uno. That's Grammy. like the coolest thing. You're like the I coolest person I know. I need to order it from the Grammys so I can actually hang it in my house. You should do that. Yeah. It's a certificate. It's not the statue. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I it still counts. pay $50 for it. It still counts. I know. It's just bullshit that they make you pay $50. <laughs> they don't even frame it for you. No? That's just the paper. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, that's what it is, I guess. I you still get to say that I you still have get to, one. Oh, I say it all the time. Yeah, I just I can't would. show it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't prove it. You can't back it up. I have one, I swear. They have to look it up. Yeah, just save. Just look it up and then save it in Safari on your right. phone and go, it's here, I that's promise. Right. I'm on the website. That's right. So you're writing a book about your dad, your Yeah, my stepdad. dad, my stepdad, uh, the college football coach, um, had an amazing career and I had a very unique up close view. And his um, name is and is Jackie Sherrill. Everybody should know who that is. So, well, they should. If you know anything don't. about college football, yeah, he was. A, you will know who his that head is. coaching legacies were Pittsburgh, Texas A and M, and Mississippi State collectively mm-hmm. for I think thirty years as a head coach. Um, but he's a legend. He is a legend, and uh, his last thirteen years at Mississippi State um, were the ones that I was with him and uh, worked on the sidelines with him right next to him. That's so awesome. And had a really awesome, um, it's just a great story of, uh, you know, when he left A&M, um, there was a lot of uh, rumors and bad shit around that whole thing. And so he didn't get offered a job for uh, two years. Mm-hmm. And then Mississippi State, which was like this podunk underdog SEC team that yeah. never won games, like two or three wins a year. Uh, asked him if he was willing to come over there. Yeah. And uh, I always tease him. I'm like, well, that was easy because you already had maroon and white <laughs> from A&M. You had all the clothes. Um, but, you know, it was a it was a huge deal um, for him to take such a huge step down, yeah. you know, with regard. Because he, you know, when, at A&M, he was, um, when he left A&M, I think he was in the top six, seven winningest college coaches. Yeah. Of all time. Yeah, that's incredible. And he played for Bear Bryant at Alabama, and he had an incredible career as a, an assistant coach to John Majors for years, and then he was the youngest head coach in history at 29 wow. in Pittsburgh. Um, then came to A&M, put, you know, the 12th man was his deal. Yeah. He brought that. I mean, it was it had happened in the World War II. Right. But Jackie's the one that built that tradition. Yeah. That's incredible. And the, and the white towels at fourth quarter and just so much of what is A&M tradition that he was a part of yeah. football. Anyways, and, and he had nothing to lose because he'd already lost it all. Right. And he went to Mississippi State, and um, they were very grateful. The town and the Mississippi State fans were very grateful. They never in a million years thought somebody like Jackie Sherrill would come to Starkville, yeah. Mississippi, but he did. So he was building his comeback of his career and trying to turn a team that had always lost into winners and make mm-hmm. them believe they could win, which right. is the key. Of course. And he drags in tow his new wife and her two daughters, <laughs> who he's known for less than two years. Yeah. And when he got offered the job at Mississippi State, that was when he proposed to my mom and said, I want 
I want y'all to come with me and I want to be a family. That's awesome. So they got married on August 2nd, 1991, and two days started on August 3rd. <laughs> oh, no. So they got married. He was on a private plane at 5 a.m., landed at, in Starkville at 7 a.m., was on the field with his players doing two days. He'd already gotten an apartment there for the summer and was right. kind of up there. But And, and we moved to Starkville. Um, I was 12, my sister was 17, and my mom and the three of us, we'd never seen a football game. We didn't even know what a touchdown was. Wow. And she married the most infamous man in college football. (laughs) And so it's an incredible story of just even that first season, you know. I mean, he went on, I was there for four years, a junior high, the first part of high school, and then I started to uh, get in some trouble. So I came back to Houston where I could be more anonymous and not, you know, put Jackie's job at risk. And um, finished high school, and that's that's where I went. But they stayed there until 2004, and I went home for a lot of games. But those first four years, I was on the sidelines with Jackie for every game. That's so Away cool. and home. Yeah. And it's a, such a beautiful story, and he's such an incredible human being who had a profound influence on so many people, and, and me especially. Sure. Um, and I just love and adore him, and I've wanted to tell that story for a long time, and I, that's one of my choices that I made. Yeah, like I'm going to do that. That's fantastic. I can. So I'm going to spend this year working on that book, um, doing shows. I'm going to go back to Europe this summer, mm-hmm. tour overseas, and at some point I'll make a record this year, and um, I already have it. I just don't know when I'm going to record it or with who. Right. And we're going to put that out in early two thousand. <laughs> we're going to put it out in uh, in two thousand nineteen in the spring, and then um, the book will come out in the fall. So yeah. it's, I've kind of got like this two year plan. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I never make plans like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I realize I'm not going to get these things done if I don't set out to do them. So right. I'm, I basically get up every morning and I work on that book for about four hours a day. That's so cool. And then I play my piano. And go to gigs. What a life. It's amazing. What a life. I'm so grateful. Thank is, you, God. I did not earn this. <laughs> is, I did and I didn't. <laughs> is is uh, Jackie supportive of all the stories and the, the book well, of all that Well, they haven't heard anything. And I'm, I'm not planning on telling my family anything. Uh-huh. Um, I have an editor uh, that is uh, going to read over stuff. Uh-huh. But I'm not going to share anything. You know, she's our... They. She, my mom, them... People that know that I'm doing this already are, you know, wanting to yeah. say what they think it should be. Of course. And I get that. And, I, and I'm listening. I'm just not going to listen to them more than me. So Of course. Um, it's early stages right now. I've never written a book before. Right. I have no idea how this works. But I know I'm buying myself a new laptop before the end of the year so I can go. write it off under the old tax laws. There you go. And uh, I've got my schedule carved out for the year of how I'm going to how I'm going to make time for that. And, um, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) I can't wait to read it. I definitely, uh, was aware of Jackie Sherrill for growing up. I was way into football and college football and all that stuff. And then upon meeting you, however many months ago, and then learning all of this and, and being a part of that is, it's such a cool, Yeah, it doesn't change anything about me or my life, but it's a cool thing that I get to, you know, I can say that I know you and you know him, and that's close. However many degrees. (laughs) Well, and he came to our revival. Yeah, so you really know degrees now. You're right there. However, yeah, however many degrees of Kevin Bacon. Between. That was fun. We had him come to a mid-season college football report, (laughs) in addition to all the other shit that was going on that day. Yeah. And my baby brother is uh he's coaching high school football over at Capel. So really? you know, it's really cute. I've had him come and they they sit and they 
seeing them together. Yeah. Because he, he's my stepbrother, right. you know, Jackie's son. Right. But they look and sound just alike. <laughs> and they have so many similar traits. It's hilarious. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, football was such a huge, huge part of my life growing up. In fact, it was our life. Once we married Jackie, sure. it was. And it was my mom's till the day he retired. Yeah. And his life is still, to many, in many regards, her life. Yeah. Because he's, um, you know, he's a a very wise human being and he uh, loves to um, give. And so he does a lot of motivational speaking yeah. and um, charity events and stuff like that. And he's very active, you know, with his old players. And, um, you know, he was one of those people that uh, had a dream that very few people ever reach. And he did it. Yeah. And he and did it. I saw to the it. Max. And it was so awesome and inspiring to see. I think that's a big part of why I thought I could make music for a living. Yeah. Because I saw him succeed in a field that people would normally say, oh, nobody makes it. It's too sure. hard. It's too risky. Yeah. And, um, and I saw him, you know, I saw him be an underdog mm -hmm. with that team. And I was always an underdog as an independent artist, you know. Yeah. I'm still an underdog. You know, I was never a major label yeah. artist, never, you know had the big manager or any of that stuff. I was always, I had to be self-motivated Yeah, and he taught me that. Yeah. Um, just watching him. He didn't even have to say anything. He yeah. did say a lot of things that stuck with me. And that's part of what I want to share in the book is because mm. it's just so good. Yeah. Some of it's just like deep shit said though, in like these five line <laughs> coaching memo type yeah. things, you know, and he's such an interesting character and I've never met anybody like him. So, um, I'm excited. I'm excited to put the story down on paper and, you know, even if nobody ever reads it, but it's for me to give to him. Yeah. I'm sure a ton of people will be interested <laughs> I'm sure they in will. that. Knowing, I'm sure they will. Watch, if anyone was, you know, aware and keeping tabs on the, yeah. the roller coaster of his career, yeah. I'm sure that people will be interested in that from your side of it yeah. because the front row seat of you, they, they saw what happened on the field and all the rumors and all the things. And then you got to see it from from a, a fatherly perspective, yeah. which was probably absolutely and incredible. removed because I, it was my first experience with football. So I, right. I, not only was I learning the game, I was learning the politics. Right. And I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 on yeah. the sidelines, a girl, there were yeah. no girls down there back then. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. It was badass. I'm sure and people are going to love to read about that. Yeah, it's, it's a good story. And yeah. it also prepared me for, you know, touring in a van with <laughs> a bunch of dudes my whole yeah. life. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's difficult in and of itself. I still struggle with that from time to time. <clears throat> well, I think uh, we've covered Holy a whole cow, lot of stuff. We talked that long? Uh, it's one hour, not two. Oh, okay. It starts at like, one. Oh yeah, I don't know God. why it does that. Okay. But uh, yeah, I think we've covered a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I, I tremendously fun. appreciate and respect our friendship and Thanks. you coming on and doing this. No problem. I, uh, Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Any, anytime you want to do it. Uh, I would love to have you on again. So Sounds great. Everyone, tell everyone uh, where they can find you and where they can see where you're at. Well, my tour dates are on bonniebishop.com. Music's on iTunes and Spotify, although, as you already know, that doesn't help the artists. So if you want to come be a fan, please buy a ticket to a show. <laughs> That's the best way. <laughs> yeah. Buy something out of, out of your hand. Yes, yeah, even if it's just a ticket. But I think once you get to the show, you'll want to take some music home with you, too. For sure. 
Definitely. Yeah, so go there, and then uh, you can find me, chriswatsonband.com. Uh, if you get this soon enough, we're doing New Year's Eve here in Fort Worth. Check that out with my good buddy, Michael Lee, and the Wartime Limousine, who is phenomenal. I've known Michael since he was in high school. No kidding. He played saxophone back then. That wasn't that long ago, He was didn't it? even play. He's only a couple years younger than me. Oh, is he? Okay. He's like 29, I okay. think. But he didn't even play guitar yet. He played saxophone oh, back wow. then. Yeah, so. He, he and I came up together in, awesome. the, in the world. So anyway, check that out. And uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe and keep up with all the other episodes. Got uh, some more good stuff coming up in 2018. So thank you guys so much. 